When I was a boy, I really didn't read very much. Um, I, I'm a mathematician. I found reading hard, um, not very interesting. Uh, but there were some exceptions. And uh, these were things like Stig of the Dump and Charlotte's Web, if you remember that one. And when I was much younger, and I had to check this with my mum, apparently I really liked The Very Hungry Caterpillar and also Where the Wild Things Are. Hopefully this slide will give you a few memories of either your childhood or your being a a dad or a mum or being a grandparent. But the first author that I really got into... You know, sometimes there's just one author that you just have to read everything of, was Roald Dahl, with the likes of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and James and the Giant Peach. But probably my favorite book of his starts like this. And I'm going to read these words. I'm not going to tell you what the book's from. Um, I'll look for glimmers of recognition as I read, and you've got to work out which of these Roald Dahl books it is. Maybe even put your hand up when you get it, Okay. We can have a little, little audience participation. Down in the valley, there were three thar- farms. The owners of these farms had done well. They were rich men. They were also nasty men. All three of them were about as nasty and mean as any men you could meet. Their names were Farmer Boggis, Farmer Bunce, and Farmer Bean. Anyone got it? Yep. Good. Yeah, it's a wonderful book called Fantastic Mr. Fox. The story of Mr. Fox and his family's ongoing battles with these three mean farmers. I've just reread the book, and um, I loved it. It's a childhood book, but it's just so full of sparkle and full of life, which is one of the reasons why I think, to this day, Roald Dahl is still so popular with children now and adults. This book is so famous. Well, today in our series on Psalms, we come to arguably the most famous of all the Psalms, Psalm 23. One that many people, as Christine was reading it, could have recited every word with her. One that is so familiar. Um, Well, when I was preparing this talk... I like to do a little bit of audience, little bit of participation and research. And I was talking to Claire's mum, my wife's mum, about what she thinks about this psalm. And actually, she said that she didn't like it. I was surprised. The reason she said was that she only ever hears it at funerals. And so to her, it's associated with the sadness of those times. And I want to recognize and acknowledge that, that for some of you here, you'll associate Psalm 23 with funerals alone. But my hope for this morning is that as we revisit this Psalm of David with fresh eyes, that we discover some gems in here that are true for all of our life, from the start, through life, and to the very finish. So let's get stuck into it. I want to try something a little bit new as I talk uh, for the rest of my talk. In your notice sheet, you'll see a um, set of a batting order. I've just given you all of the verses. And as we go through the psalm, what I'm going to do is occasionally just pause and give you time to just think about what we've been thinking about. Which Think about each of the phrases as we go through. So I'm just going to lead you in doing that. And then, as Mike said, at the end of my talk, there'll be an opportunity during... 
William Todd's song to be able to go back and think back over some of the things that God will have raised in your heart as we consider this psalm. Is that okay? Great. Okay, let's start. Well, the first thing to notice about this psalm is that it's written by King David. Although this is such a famous psalm, we know little about when David actually wrote it. But we do know that it's a song of praise, looking back at how God has been in David's life throughout. So maybe it was written towards the latter parts of his life. The whole psalm is actually summed up by the very first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. David was the best king Israel had ever had. And as such, many of his subjects would have felt that he actually had every right to consider him as a shepherd, himself as a shepherd of his people. But no, David doesn't say that. David focuses instead on the Lord being his shepherd. That means David is making himself to be a sheep. Well, when I was 18, I did a sponsored run. I couldn't have done it today uh, with a friend uh, along the whole of Offa's Dyke, which is the path between Wales and England. Um, It runs along the whole length of that. Now, along the way, we met so many sheep, and boy, are they stupid. I've often thought that if I ever became a vegetarian, I'd still eat lamb. They're that stupid. As we ran along the tracks along the Welsh borders, uh, with grass on either side, you would run along and then see a group of sheep on the track. And we'd run along, and they would surprisedly look back and see you, and then they would just sprint 100 metres along the track. They could have easily gone from one side to the other, but we, we ran on, met them again, and surprised again, they look and see us, and sprint another 100 metres. This would go on for miles, with tons of grass either side. Sheep then, and sheep now, are not the brightest of animals, I concluded. The great David was saying that he is like a sheep and God is his shepherd. Also, I think, coming from the UK, we could imagine sheep as having a great life. You know, sitting in a field full of lush green grass, eating all day in England's green and pleasant land. However, the life of sheep in, in Israel would have been so much tougher Grassy areas were scarce and hard to find. The land was often near desert and mountainous and full of ravines. And savage animals such as wolves and wild cats. A dangerous place for a smart animal, let alone a sheep. These sheep need a shepherd for their very existence. The shepherd is there with the sheep, protecting, providing, caring for his sheep They are his, and he is theirs. There is this bond that whatever might come during the day, they are each other's. And David is saying this of God, the Lord is my shepherd. He is mine. I am his. David, the most powerful person in Israel, is saying that he needs a shepherd in his life. And so if he can be this humble... Who are we to think that we don't need a shepherd? 
with this intimate relationship in place, he can go on with confidence to say about God, I shall not be in want. What a challenge for us. Do we have this type of relationship with God? Firstly, do we recognize that we are sheep needing him in our lives? And then with this need in mind, do we turn to him at all times? If you're like me, I so often forget that I am a sheep and suddenly think I can go it alone by my own strength. But nearly always failure ensues in those cases. So let's explore a little bit more this phrase, I shall not be in want. What this means, I think, is not I won't desire for things, things that I think I need, that I think I need, but actually I don't. What it means is that through my shepherd's care, I won't lack anything that I really need. He will provide for my good, and the shepherd knows best. Again, isn't this hard? Trusting him with knowing us better than we know ourselves. But no, like an arrogant sheep, I often think I know better. Now with this verse in mind, the rest of the psalm then basically takes us through what it means to be with him as our shepherd through everything life can throw at us. It's really a psalm that uses this analogy of the day in the life of a sheep to teach us what it means to have God in our lives as his shepherd. And it also reminds us of the flip side, how tragic it would be to not have a good shepherd in our lives. So the rest of the psalm, David explores what this means in practice. Okay, so let's look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. How interesting that the very first thing that David talks about is rest and quiet and peace. The world and Christians might actually think the first thing about being a Christian is what we can do for God. But no, here David is saying, God says, I take you to places of peace and rest and provision. First and foremost, this is about God caring for us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel comfortable or uncomfortable? There's no right or wrong answer. Just feel what you feel. Try shutting your eyes if it helps. Let's now, just for a minute, think about that phrase. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, you might have felt gratitude for those times where he has, that you can remember, of rest and peace. Or maybe at the moment you long for those times. Maybe you're so busy and so caught up with the life of this world that you long for these times of pasture. Just hold that thought as we move on. For me, I think I know in my head that God does intend for me to enjoy rest. But I so easily forget it. 
when I do have downtime, when I do nothing, sometimes I think somehow that this is time perhaps that God is not pleased about. But this verse is saying the opposite. He wants us to rest. There are so many good ways of resting too. At um, Claire's mum's flat, uh, she lives in Worthing, overlooking the sea. There's a lovely bay window and uh, in the afternoon it captures the sun and usually after a large meal I just love to sit there and slip off to sleep in the afternoon. There's a bit of a guilty pleasure for you. God is the God of everything, not just church stuff, but he's the God of art, of music, of snoring, of laughter, of walking in the woods, of daydreaming, of just about anything and everything. And through this all, through these restful times, he restores my soul, guiding us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Throughout this day in the life of the sheep, the shepherd guides his sheep along the path. If they wander off, he will go, up, um, he will go and get them, go and rescue them. God is the same with us. Although we sometimes wander off, he comes and he finds us and he leads us back to him, back onto his path. Let's just spend another few moments thinking about that. Where are you? Are you on the path? Have you wandered off? Do you feel a long way from the shepherd at the moment? Or do you feel his presence and thank him for guiding you back? Let's just ponder on that for a moment or two. He guides us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, what I love about the Psalms is their honesty. And life is not all good. Some things are so tough to go through. Sometimes are really hard. And David does not avoid these. In the next verse, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. There may be some here that feel that they are in situations that are close to feeling so bleak that it is like walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But know this from this psalm, that you are not alone, that God promises that he is with you. We are not promised that bad times won't happen. But our shepherd does promise to be with us every step of the way into, during, and after these really difficult times. Through his protection and guidance, as signified by the rod and the staff here, we can trust him with us. And my prayer for us all is that we can know this in our head and our hearts and therefore be less fearful Because God is with you, even if there are times when we don't feel it. Let's again have a couple of moments just thinking about that for ourselves. Through it all, God, you are with us.
The next verse says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now this verse really troubled me as I was preparing this talk. The first part was fine. God lays out a feast for us. He blesses us so much. He lavishes us with good things. And yet, what is this second part? In the presence of my enemies. I pondered about this for several days. Then about four days ago, I was on the bus on the K3 to Kingston into work, and I got a breakthrough. I think what this is saying is, on one hand, God is blessing us with so much, but still, amongst all this, there are troubles. It could be work stresses, or school, or relationships at home, or with friends, or financial problems, or health problems, or any other worry. And yet, even through these troubles, he continues to bless us in so many ways. And so there is a feast of blessing before us, but troubles around us. The problem is, if we worry too much about the troubles around us, how can we possibly even notice the blessings in front of us? Imagine with me if you're sitting down to eat a meal and there's beautiful food in front of you, but all around you, you're just worried about the other things, about people or troubles around you. You can't enjoy the food. Yeah? So how can we feel peace while we sit down to eat? This only comes from trusting that the shepherd is looking after us. And this is what I felt on the bus. I realized that I was disproportionately focusing on my troubles, on work being really frenetic at the moment, on no time, etc., etc., that I hadn't handed these things over to him. In doing so, I'd stopped seeing his many blessings to me and to my family. As the sheep eat, they know that the shepherd is looking out for, for danger, protecting them. And so the sheep can relax and eat, enjoying the lush grass, knowing their shepherd is keeping them safe. So let's again think for a moment about what troubles or worries are holding you back from enjoying God's blessings. And let's hand them over to him and his very broad shoulders. So let's just be quiet for a moment. Well, in our day, in the life of a sheep, we are now reaching the end of the day. The night is falling. Now, at night time, a shepherd would have had a simple rocky pen that the sheep would have come into at night through an open gap in the wall, a little like this. As the sheep passed the shepherd, he would study carefully each one of them. Some would have had scuffed knees as they stumbled on the rocks of the day. Others would have been hot and dirty. So he takes some oil and pours them on the, so- on the sores of the sheep, soothing them. And others he washed with water, gently and lovingly caring for these sheep that he loves so much. Then once in their pen, the shepherd, the shepherd does an amazing thing. He himself blocks the gap with his own body, becoming the gate into the pen, protecting those in it from the dangers outside. He is the shepherd 
and the gate. Doesn't this so remind us of Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 10, when he said, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Our shepherd Jesus died to save us, his beloved sheep, who he adores. And now risen, he can be our shepherd, guiding us through whatever life can throw at us, if we just accept him as our shepherd. Given this, all of this, David finishes with the only conclusion he can in verse 6. So surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of, David, house of the Lord forever. Well, earlier on in my talk this morning, I told you about my fondness for the book uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And there's one scene in there I want to just share with you. They're digging a tunnel up into one of the farmer's um, treasure troves full of the wonderful, wonderful things to eat. But the children don't, who are with Mr. Fox don't know, who don't know where they're going. So one asks, Dad, I wish you could tell us where we're going. I dare not do that, said Mr. Fox, because this place I'm hoping to get to is so marvellous that if I describe it to you now, you would go crazy with excitement. Is that how we feel, knowing Jesus, knowing him as our saviour and shepherd, leading us through all the days of our life and into his house forever? Surely that is the most marvellous thing there can possibly be. Thank you so much.